Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. And I'm really honoured today to share with you this week's guest mentor, Bernie Smith, because not only did I have a great conversation with Bernie this week, but he really helps us tackle something that as finance professionals, we, we could probably do a bit better, particularly when it comes to the world of KPIs, so these key performance indicators, target setting and incentives. So where Bernie and I start is we actually delve into why this is quite a big challenge for accountants and finance professionals, particularly as a lot of us are looking for exactness, when the whole point of measurement is to do with uncertainty reduction. And then we take it a bit further using these ideas of KPI trees to understand why there's only really a handful of true KPIs and how we can remove the rest of the KPI vine weeds so we can get at the golden nuggets, the gold bars, that will help us drive a bigger impact in our work and our organizations. And then probably for the last third of our conversation, we really delve into target setting and incentives, a critique of SMART objectives, as some of us might have come across, and also a very simple control we can all do and implement to prevent gaming of target and incentive systems. It's a really interesting area, particularly if you're dealing with sales or operations team trying to drive towards particular outcomes. Bernie gives us a bit of a roadmap on how to progress our journey along those. So look, if you did enjoy this week's episode, please let us know. You can also recommend the episode to your friends and colleagues. We're on all the major platforms. You can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And if you do want to connect with Bernie, follow up on some of the key resources mentioned, as well as detailed timestamp show notes and transcripts, you can find that and more at sitnshow.com. So I guess that's enough for me for now. So without further ado, over to Bernie and the show. So Bernie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me along, Andrew. It's our pleasure, Bernie. And I really enjoyed our chat again previous to the show. And I'm so excited about sharing your insights with our audience before we do, though. Would you mind maybe giving them a quick introduction to your background, please? Yeah, absolutely. So slightly unconventional. I'm a professional engineer by training. So I started life studying mechanical engineering and something really obscure called finite element analysis. This is stress modeling using computers. I started my working life building large steam turbines with a power generation company. Fascinating stuff, but not for me. I wanted to make a bit more in the world. So I joined a specialist consulting firm that did Lean Six Sigma before really called Lean Six Sigma. And I traveled the world. I work with global manufacturing firms helping fix their process problems. And I, I spent a really interesting but tiring and stressful 10 years traveling the world fixing manufacturing processes. So I worked on kidney dialysis machines in Germany, polyethylene cracking in Finland, paper making in the US, all kinds of interesting stuff, but not family friendly. About 10 years into that, I decided I got a skill set 
but I don't want to rock up to manufacturing sites at six in the morning anymore. I joined a company that did the same sort of thing, but for banks. It was in the early days of Lean Six Sigma and people were just starting to realize that this stuff applied to banks as well. So did that for about 10 years, decided I wanted to set up on my own and I looked for something that everyone found difficult and disliked. And that was KPIs. Nobody enjoys them and you can see people visibly flinch when you mention them. So I thought, hang on, there's a person-sized business here taking this horrible sticky subject and trying to make it simpler, more human, more structured and easier to understand. So I took my kind of engineering mice and thought, how can we make it so that anyone can find the right KPIs by following a series of logical steps. And, th and that's what brings me to, to where I am now. I set up Made to Measure KPIs about 10 years ago, and I've been um, writing books, running courses, and doing consulting work on KPIs and reporting and dashboard design ever since. Yeah, you've got a, a phenomenal, as you say, stamina to just keep uh, enhancing our understanding of KPIs, Bernie. I, I just thought it was incredible the number of courses and books you've managed to compile. And re what's relatively... I mean, a decade's a good period of time, but there's just so much of body of work there. And it's interesting. I, I was wondering, as you were saying that about the KPIs, and it's a sticky subject for a lot of people and a lot of organizations struggle with it. I can't help but feel us as accountants and finance professionals, maybe we've messed it up a bit, <laughs> made it a bit more difficult than we needed to. Well... I, I strongly believe that everyone does the best they can in the situation they're in. I, I think one of the biggest problems is that there isn't a roadmap. So I see time and time again, smart people doing intelligence based on the information they've got. But what there isn't is an overarching set of principles, which we're all alive. So it's like building a house where five tradesmen all go off and start doing their own thing without talking to each other. They'll do a great professional job within their little sphere, but you wouldn't necessarily want to live in the house that they're going to build. And this is exactly what happens with KPIs. And the bigger the organisation, the worse that problem is. It's a weird subject, but I, I don't think there's anything. There's no such thing as a boring subject. The more you look at it, and the better you get your head around it, the more interesting it gets. So I know it sounds a bit but I'm certainly not done with it yet. Yeah, to borrow from a phrase from one of your books, how do we get started with KPIs? <laughs> Okay, so the the number one thing, so when I run training, I, I do a little thought experiment. I challenge people, I say, imagine that your local DIY superstore, it has been open just for you. So in, in the UK, it's B&Q, in America, it's Home Depot. And then I challenge them to visualize and then retrieve the single most useful tool in the store. Uh, and I get them to mentally go through this exercise and retrieve the tool. And then we talk through what they've retrieved. And all the answers are really sensible and sound. And they're all based on a series of assumptions. Hmm. But the problem is not with the answers, it's with the question. Going and buying a DIY tool when you don't know what the job is insanity. So it's just the same with KPIs. So the step is figuring out what it is you want to achieve as an organization. And people get quite intimidated by strategy, but it's not that hard. You do need to be clear on it, though, because every KPI you choose or you don't choose needs to flow from what it is we're trying to do. Now, the next step is to break it down into uh, more bite-sized chunks. So I use the example of being healthy, something we all, all think about quite a lot of the time. Being healthy, though, is not directly measurable. It's something we need to break down. So with your objectives, you need to break it down. So if we're interested in growth as a small business, then web marketing may be one of the things that we want to break down. So you say, okay, what does web marketing break down into? It breaks down into having people visit our website. It breaks down into having a website that's accessible and functional. It breaks down into 
having engagement, so they actually do something when they're there, ideally leaving their uh, email address. Um, and then once they've left their email address, then we need to think about how we market to them. So how often we email them, whether they engage with those emails and whether they buy stuff. And when you break things down like that, it's a lot less scary. So it's just about taking a systematic approach, saying on a high level, what are we trying to do? How does it break down? And then how do we measure those things that we've broken down? Now, in reality, most businesses, it actually takes three layers of outcomes to break okay. it. So on the top, you've got profit, growth, innovation. Next level down, you might have, we market successfully using our website and emails. And then you break that down into smaller outcomes. And by the time you've got to that third level, then you're at the point where you can figure out KPIs quite easily. They normally just drop out. And we use a visual technique for doing this called a KPI trees, which is something I put together about 12 years ago and now is popping up all over the web. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a finance we said, we've had some concepts like business partnering. It's been around since 1963 and now we're all talking about it. It's just like, yeah, there's, it's there a, are it's very a, few. But, but yeah, it's interesting. The, I was thinking like KPI trees though. It's such a great idea, but why now? It, it, it was, I'll be honest, they didn't come out the blue. So I looked at things like Kaplan and Norton strategy maps and some of the other techniques for yes. breaking it down. And it's yes. really an evolution. So it's a clear vision standard with a set of rules and some methodology to make it easier. But it didn't just pop out of thin air. It also borrows quite heavily from something in the Toyota production system called PM analysis, which is almost completely unknown no almost no one yeah. in the lean six sigma world knows about it I, I, yeah exactly i did lean six sigma as well I, I can't remember coming across it so so, so it's, it's a work of genius and it's something i use for problem solving for, for a decade in fact i still use it and the idea of pm analysis is its phenomenon method and the idea is you break down an outcome into the driving principles the things that control it so i used it in a manufacturing concept on things like paper breaks. Why does a sheet of paper break on a machine? It's because the stress on that paper exceeds the strength. So you split it into two and then you break it down and break it down. And people often confuse it with an Ishigawa, but it's quite different. It's about the phenomenon. It's not about the problems. Uh, and uh. really it's just applying that methodology, but in a business context. So you're breaking down the principles layer by layer until you get to the lowest layer. Now, there's a few tweaks when we do it with KPIs because the top three layers are about outcomes and then the bottom layer is the things you measure to tell you those outcomes. But, you know, that's where it's, it's come from. And there really aren't many new ideas under the sun. So this is, is a mashup. <laughs> I appreciate your, your honesty around it, Bernie, because I do find that people package a lot of these things up that have been around for a long time and make them sound like brand new and they must have and we all must do it. I'm just delighted people are, are taking this messaging on board. What what might scare some people, though, is when we hear KPIs, you think, oh, my God, the dreaded KPI report. There's hundreds of them. But I think the way you're speaking, you're probably saying, yes, there's important outcomes to deliver, but there's probably only a handful of real, true KPIs. Absolutely. So th there's actually a two-step process we go through. So what I've just described is the first part. So this is the, when I say two steps, this is the middle two steps of the method, the results-orientated KPI system or the ROCKS method. But there's two steps in the middle which are about choosing our KPIs. Now, the reason it's two steps is there are two types of people in the world. There's the dreamers who want to measure everything, and they tend to be senior executives because they don't have to do it. So they want to measure this and that and whatever. <laughs> and then there's the pragmatists. These are the people who go, sharp intake of breath. We can't do that with SAP. Sorry, that's not possible with our current uh, workflow system. They're the ones who bring us back to earth and, and, and know the cost in terms of time, effort and pain of measuring everything. Now, you cannot 
keep both of those types of people on board with a single step. So what we do is we split it into two. So the KPI tree part is for the dreamers. Now, it always produces too many KPIs, typically about four to five times more KPIs than you'll use in the final instance. What we do to keep the pragmatists happy is we use something called a shortlisting um, matrix. Now, this is in creation, but it doesn't look very impressive. It's a grid plot where you have how important is something on the vertical axis on a scale of 1 to 10 and how easy is it to measure on the horizontal axis on a scale of 1 to 10. Now something that's important and easy to measure, great, that just goes on the dashboard. Typically things that are hard to measure and not important and even make the starting grid. It's the other two quadrants that are really interesting. So something that is easy to measure but not important. You think well, how do those exist? I'll tell you why they exist. It's because <laughs> anyone who has installed a system wants to prove how much value they've delivered, they switch on every default report. Management get buried in 500 pages of SAT report or JD Edwards report, <laughs> and no one has the courage to turn it off. Oh, You're okay. nodding a lot. You clearly oh, witnessed no, no, that. No, no. The only way you get the courage to do that is when you come into a new role and say, does anyone actually read these and you just stop sending them out? It's the only, you couldn't do that. You just would not have the courage in a day job that you've been doing sending this report up for ages to stop. It's like part of your identity, you know? So yeah, yeah it, it takes and, tremendous and, courage. I completely And <laughs> this stuff is the vine weed that chokes the living daylight out of human beings. So I worked with one brand comms organisation where they had a daily operations meeting in the call centre, agent level with the supervisor, and the supervisor's report had 108 daily KPIs on it. You just go, this is total insanity. <laughs> As I, as I read somewhere, like a human beings, we can only like ingest seven or eight different channels of information, and that's not even so ingesting them. Yeah, your <laughs> short-term memory holds between three and seven items. So if it's more than that, you've forgotten the first thing by the time you get to the last. <laughs> so utter insanity. So insanity, the yeah. shortlisting matrix gives us permission to ditch some of that craft. What's really interesting, and the bit that always gets overlooked unless you use a formal method like this, is the hard-to-measure or apparently impossible to measure, but important stuff. Now, these are the gold bars that really can transform a business. And they normally just get swept aside because people look at them and they go, we can't measure that. And they just forget. And that's it, it's gone. And these are the things that if all your competitors are saying the same thing, if you can figure out how to measure that, then you're laughing. Yep. You, you could become a Google or an Experian. So, so I've got my own thoughts on this one, Bernie, but why do you mm. think people are not rushing to measure these gold bars because i agree with you yeah uh, i like and I, I look at things like gravity right it's a rather important thing it keeps us grounded <laughs> in this planet but it's intangible it's very difficult to see but you can measure it with a sheet of paper and a pencil and also maybe a, a smartphone it's not that hard to measure it and use some basic algorithms to, to compute mm. its true value i don't know if it'd be worthwhile for a lot of us but it's in a, something important but in organizations i have my own thoughts on it but why what are some of the roadblocks of people measuring these important hard to measure things we've there's a lot of things on there so you the gravity one's an interesting example it's something where we can see the effect but we can't actually directly observe it so what you're talking about when you have a sheet of paper a pencil and a smartphone and i'm really interested in the details of that but i'm presuming it involves dropping something against oh, the yeah, calibrated it scale it's, it's, it involves a karate chop <laughs> oh, okay fun. okay yeah. cool yeah we'll have to discuss that off air yeah definitely with that you're having to observe the impact of that thing rather than think directly and bizarrely and slightly counterintuitively, because we live in such a digital era we are used to stuff being presented to us 
as a pile of numbers, a CSV file or a spreadsheet or whatever. Yeah. We've actually become quite unimaginative when it comes to measuring things indirectly. If you take the native Canadians, they measure temperature directly, but they would refer to temperature in terms of a number of dogs night dog night or a three dog night and that's how many dogs you had to curl up with to stay warm <laughs> so they had what, what i call a proxy measure it was something that was observable that wasn't telling you the channel directly but it gives you um, some idea of what's going on and those are amongst the most powerful proxy kpis that you yeah, can come I, up you see where you uh, see this is the thing i think with i'm not going to brush you know paint all uh, accountants with the same brush here but there's a, there are a lot of us and i know i was like this early in my career you had to be very exact right we used to run trial balances and i was the type who had to make sure it balanced back to zero even if it was a few cent or pennies out i'd be there no this has to right. balance it, the algorithm says you know everything should balance and whatever i'm not booking anything to a suspense account i'm writing it off but so there's yeah. this sense of exactness but as i suppose i grew into the corporate world and became a decision maker myself and i thought the best way of driving return was and where i could add value as a finance professional was uncertainty reduction because if you think about the the value creation before formula the net present value the best way to drive a better return is reduce risk of the decision and if something it gives you a, a proxy to make a better decision it takes some of the risk out of it and it's probably one of the most valuable things we can do in our organizations it's just yes it's great to be exact but sometimes the most important things, the best or the only thing we have to hand is a proxy measure. And uh, we do that, we reduce risk and we get those gold bars, to borrow from your terminology, Bernie, a bit faster. That's the way I view it. What measure it is? I completely agree. So I can give you one practical example where it's not exact, but it's fantastically valuable. So I work with a pension provider in Scotland and an interesting challenge which was if you're a pension provider basically you want to sell pensions and you want to keep those customers until they die that's the the fundamental sort of business model in terms of sales and um, these guys had an uptick in people transferring their pensions to other organizations now I was party to one of the meetings where they were discussing this and there was a real sense of gloom and doom. People were transferring the pension out and they had a figure showing the amount that had been transferred out. And being a pension fund, that's a big number. It had gone up, no one knew why, and everyone was really despondent. And it was said, why don't we look at people's intent to leave? And there was just a, a, a snort of, of disdain around the table. People just dismissed it as impossible. And in fact, the, the most senior people were the worst for this. But a few people in the meeting decided not to take that as a kind of deterrent. And they, they did a bit of digging and they found something really, really interesting. There is something that almost everyone does before they transfer their pension. It's an early warning indicator. And that thing is getting a valuation. Now, this was pre-internet self-service for this organization. So in that case, people would call in for evaluation. So we'd gone from the damage a month later in a meeting through to an action that tells us that someone is very lightly thinking about transferring their pension. Now, not everyone who rings up for evaluation is intending to transfer, but almost everyone who transfers does ring up for evaluation. Now, what's interesting was they had just automated that process. It had just yeah. come self-service. And that's what explained the uptick. So this is not a purely KPI example. You need deep process understanding. But they've gone from counting the damage retrospectively through to having a critical process touch point where if you put your best customer retention people on there, 
Certainly, Mr. Smith, I'd be happy to give you that valuation. Just out of interest, can I check you're happy with your pension, happy with the service you're getting? They managed to intervene and dramatically mitigate that problem. So that's just one example of it being quite imprecise. That is not precise data, but it's enough information to tell you, okay, move upstream, head it off at the pass, and dramatically change the course of events. So not easy to find, not easy to deal with, but incredibly valuable to the organization. Yeah, but it's just, it's when you break it down like that, Bernie, it's so obvious. You know, I know it's not obvious in the sense it's directly measurable. It's an indirect measure, but it's obvious mm. thinking. It's just. Oh, I, I learned this from my industrial problem solving when you'd explain why this was doing what it was doing. After the event, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> the trick is finding it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the problem's easy once you've solved it. And it's the same with KPIs. But uh, the key point is that there is, I, I believe there's nothing that's not measurable. I've done quite a lot of research and, and thinking around this. And there's a, a toolkit of techniques that you can you can deploy proxy measures is one of the most powerful because often you've got the proxy information already you'll find that yeah. if you look through your data be it structured or unstructured you'll very often find those indicators and that's one of the few times i would advocate this slightly fashionable data science of things trawling for relationships looking you know using linear regression to identify correlations between certain data that's where it gets very useful for identifying proxy measures. But even if you don't have proxy measures, there's other tools you can use. We probably haven't got time to go into them, but things like Fermi decomposition, which is a technique used, well, you, you've heard of it, Enrico Fermi, a really clever estimation oh, technique where you yeah. stack your estimates to get an order of magnitude on something where you had no idea before. So. It's very powerful. It reduces uncertainty. I think if we appreciate we're not going to get exactness, but yeah. directionally, it's going to help us make a better decision. That's what we're paid to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imperfect information is almost always better than no information at all. And typically, the things that we use techniques on are big, important things. So if we can get an approximately right answer versus not a clue, I would take the approximately right answer all the time. But as you say, it's well outside of people's zones and, and, and particularly when you're starting out in a career whether you're an engineer or an accountant there's a big premium put on exactness but as you get further into your career you realize a lot of that exactness is actually a bit of an illusion so in accounting but <laughs> you've just you've just knocked everyone's foundations out from underneath them now bernie <laughs> i'm sorry about that there's <laughs> an illusion that exactness yeah but I, I fell in love with that exactness and that's why i was probably slow to embrace i suppose them I, I i maybe it was the mathematics side of it or just the elegance of it all particularly double entry accounting mm. that i sort of fe fell in love with it but actually i do think in hindsight that uh, it's one of the best things that ever happened is is learning things like this fermi decomposition understanding the import and actually even if you look at accounts nowadays of businesses the as ocean tomo updated their survey and that's the one where they look at the assets and the value of a company and they understood that the currently i think it's around 87 percent of the snp 500 balance sheet is made up of intangible asset stuff that is really? based on on you can't kick it you can't physically see it move it whereas 35 years ago it was completely the other way around it was mostly tangible assets that and again i think it's just getting used to that uh, new environment we're in where the best business models out there don't necessarily need physical assets. They could be good ideas or 
are, are generating the value. So it's just interesting. Things have changed. And I think if we don't open our minds a bit to, to, to these ways of measurements and try and be as exact as we can, particularly where we have proxy measures, but appreciate that to make better decisions, we need to move outside our comfort zone. It's a really interesting observation. I've not thought about it. And it's like the difference between valuing Fall and Facebook. If you look at Facebook in terms of tangible assets, it's it's a pile of service at best. But yeah. there's something else going on there as well. Yeah, no, really interesting observation. Yeah, exciting but, times. But, but uh, yeah, talking of exciting times though, right? Um, and again, I'd love to squeeze it in with you, Bernie, is, is what you're working on at the moment, which is around targets and incentives. And I, I love this topic because I, I work a lot with with sales organizations right I, I find it fascinating and it's some of us are very much driven uh, so we say maybe coin operated i know those <laughs> aren't so much but i love that interplay between finance and sales and it plays to, to my early days in austrian economics where i just love this whole idea of human action and and how to get people to take the most constructive courses so uh, yeah how did you get into this targets and incentives it's a natural offspring of kpis and in fact what i find fascinating is how little guidance there is out there so step step five of my method is define your kpis and there's a whole load of reasons why it's important to define your kpis and part of that is setting targets and measuring progress against targets but the entire world seems to be stuck at the smart objective stage now smart's (laughs) okay but it doesn't work you can have something that's specific achievable and, and targeted but you can still end up with a Volkswagen Audi emission scandal. You can still end up with a Wells Fargo or a PPI mis-selling scandal because humans are complicated and organisations are complicated and a lot of the targets we use are stupid. We target one thing, for example, product sales in branch network, and we completely disregard things like conduct risk, treating the customer fairly, the operational risk involved, and the fact that people will game targets like nobody's business, oh. worse than Monopoly. I, I work with a certain br- brand name High Street Bank where staff were selling the products to themselves and to their friends and family and saying, cancel it as soon as the month's up. You've got a cooling down period. I will hit my sales target. I saw people selling products to people they knew could not use those products. So people who were self-employed had pre-existing conditions. Um, I saw people, well, there, there's certain other things I can't even talk about. And, and you realise that people, if you set targets, some people will be motivated intrinsically by just by the joy of going after a target. And that's great. And that's generally quite healthy. But as soon as you start involving substantial incentives or substantial penalties, I liken it to pouring petrol on the barbecue. Any problems that you've got, if you're standing too close to that barbecue, you're not wearing flame retardant clothing, you're going to find out. And the bigger the reward, the more risky it is. So I, I regard financial rewards and management pressure as accelerants. They tend to flush out problems that are there anyway, but it makes them more visible. There's definitely two camps here. Target on their own generally drive intrinsic motivation, natural competitiveness, and that's generally pretty healthy. Uh, As soon as you bring incentives, rewards, or punishments in, then it gets a lot serious. And one example I use is from one of the racing competitions. There's uh, something called, I think it's the GT race series, where the idea is that these are cars that you can buy, that families can have, and you can watch them race on TV, and then you can go out and buy one. You start digging into it, and you find, well, Toyota decided to go into that space. So available for purchase they made two one for racing and one for a museum so that 
checks that box. One of the other regulations was you can fit a suitcase of a specified size into the car. Obviously, they want four Mondeos or whatever, where you can put luggage in and the family car. So Toyota didn't want to do this and didn't have the space. So they looked at the rules really closely and discovered there was nothing about the petrol tank being full when you have the suitcase in the car. So they measured the fuel tank and said, well, theoretically, you can fit a suitcase in the fuel tank when it's empty. And that was within the rules because no one had thought you'd try and stick a suitcase in the fuel tank. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is it's such high stakes that as soon as you put that kind of pressure on a rules system, on a reward system, people will find amazingly ah. complex ways of working around the rules and looking for loopholes. I've spent the last few months reverse engineering lots and lots of horror stories. So in the book, I've got a 13 different case studies, interesting figure as well. And <laughs> I've been picking through what's gone wrong. And what you find is there are themes and issues that crop up repeatedly. And I've built a diagnostic model based on those issues that you can use to test and reverse engineer your targets and incentives. But it, it's been fascinating and horrifying at the same time. Yeah, because we've spoken previously again about some of those stories and they're just, they're, it is fascinating, I have to say. And I haven't read the book now myself, Bernie, but I'm, I'm definitely going to have to uh, delve in. I know I can't wait, I can't wait. But the thing is, is I see a lot of it in my day work, well, particularly with sales. And I think it's because I'm dealing with a lot of very creative people and they will quickly point where a, a control system or a comp plan is not been put in place optimally. Optimally, and no. you learn so much about your business and, and how to to do things in the right way, and 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 also how to work with them to get the best out. Because you don't want to be have too many rules either. Because too many rules is too complex, makes it difficult to change and understand where the er errors mm. are. But I, I do feel it's one area where we definitely don't have enough in the way of diagnostic tools to correct them. I suppose we use a lot of rule of thumbs in our and our team and our yeah. and our finance organization to have gotten by but like i know they're going to fight sales and, and other an officer they're going to find loopholes and get ahead of it and I, I do find big data has been very helpful in that regard in terms of modeling behavior particularly monte carlo analysis and projecting it forward yeah. but that but that's us there's no book that says go and do that we figured that out by trying trial and error that was a very good way of controlling it but but i suppose yes i can't wait to understand more and more in this area because it's it's an area where we don't have enough understanding at the moment and again coming back to reducing that risk uh, again great opportunity for us as finance professionals to add value interesting hearing hearing you talking about sales environment because one of my big case studies is on a fictitious uh, software sales company because they're just great environments for testing this uh, you also another really interesting point which is if you ask people they will point out the problems. Oh. And I've built that into my method. I call it black hat. You've got white hat <laughs> testing, which is how it should work. And then black hat testing, which is how it is actually going to work. <laughs> it's amazing. That went on its own. It's just so great at uncovering. I think it's a bit of pride in people saying, oh, yeah, I found out that loophole. Yeah. And that's how you solve it. They just ask them, how would you solve yeah. it? And they tell you. It's not complicated. And honestly, most people don't enjoy gaming the system. There are a few um, psychopaths out there. Most people want to do the right to get rewarded for it and actually resent and get frustrated by being forced to do stupid in order to hit the target. So most people are actually quite consciously up for helping build a sensible system because I think most people got an inbuilt sense of fairness and get frustrated when a, a stupid system is imposed on them. I would dealt with thousands of salespeople, Bernie. I would I completely agree with you. There's very I would say on a handful of thousands that 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 
are rogue elements. Everyone else, I think, yeah. is aligned to doing the right thing. And again, another good reason why I think their hearts are generally in the right place. But but yeah, it's important to have a robust environment around them, not the stupid things going on. But they'll tell you. And again, that's yeah. another reasons why we just need to get out from behind our desks, engage with people. I know, look, Bernie, you've been giving us fantastic advice and appreciate very respect for your time. So look to wrap up shortly. But I suppose in terms of yourself, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Ah, that's an interesting one. It's probably not the most quote worthy, but it was actually a Dickens quote um, from oh. David Copperfield. And the quote goes, well, in fact, I, I wrote it down a little while ago. Annual income, £20. Annual expenditure, 1919 and six. Result, happiness. <laughs> income, £20. Annual expenditure, £20. Out and six. Result, misery. Now, not the most quotable quote, but it's quite fundamental. The, the idea is that if you spend slightly less than you earn, you're going to have a happy life. And if you spend slightly more, you're going to have a miserable life. But I didn't really grasp it until I was quite a bit older. The key thing is about freedom. If you have a low-cost, modest lifestyle, whatever your income level, you can do what you want. You, you become much more up for risk because it's less risky. If you build a life that requires you to pedal hard all the time to keep it going you're going to firstly be stressed but secondly you're not going to take the leaps that you might want to you're going to feel hemmed in because you haven't got leeway to take a risk for things to go wrong maybe to lose income so that was something that someone told me when i was you know in my early teens and on one level i got it at the time but it's only now i'm hitting middle age that i really fully understand the implications of it you know if you stay below that bar if you stay below that threshold then you know life's a lot more fun <laughs> it's yeah i think I, I get that i think some of our listeners will get it as well because the pennies drop for us bernie but yeah some of our audience uh that that might be a bit younger starting out a bit yeah. i again really take this advice on board once you start building those differentials in in, in your favor and mm. you've got the power compound interest that that builds up quick <laughs> yeah I, I know that, i know it's not a new observation but it's one that just keeps no, on but, coming out but, but it's funny it's funny I'm, i I trained as a finance professional bernie and it was only hmm. in my 30s i figured that out it's I, a bit embarrassing but yeah it wasn't a quick learn on that one well we live in a capitalist society that basically tries to to push us as much as it can over our lips and yeah learning to stand your ground and and actually choose your own boundaries is a crucial lesson in life really isn't it yeah that was great advice look if our audience want to check out some resources around uh, kpis and, and also when you've got the book ready around the targets and incentives uh, where can they go to get more information okay uh, three things firstly head to made to measure kpis.com so it's the same as this banner here but with the dot com on the end there's loads of free materials there and if you sign up for anything there there's free templates and downloads if you sign up for free you'll be on my mailing list so i'll let you know when the book is launched if you want a bit more on kpi trees and the rocks method then kpi checks it's available in paperback hardback kindle and audible so just head and type in kpi it's normally top of the ranks and if you want to connect on linkedin i love when people connect type in bernie smith kpi and you should i should on the top of the search rankings hopefully <laughs> uh, excellent or okay. do as i do have a, another guest mentor recommend you for the show and it, it turned out to be a fantastic recommendation bernie it really Oh, I can't say thank you so much for sharing so many great insights. But before we let you go, I always ask this question. Would you have maybe any other parting thoughts for our audience? 
Oh, gosh. Oh, that's a really interesting one. Uh, sorry, you caught me out a bit there. Parting thoughts. Okay, so when it comes to KPIs, don't be intimidated by the size of the task. Doing one thing that you weren't doing in terms of measurement is much better than thinking about a perfect system that you never implement. So get started, keep it simple. Love it. That's a great way to, to finish the show. And Bernie, thank you so much for coming on Strength in the Numbers today. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me along. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 